And the work's done at this point. I cannot gain any appreciable fitness between now and race day. I could screw up a lot if I'm not careful. And that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to keep an eye on at this point is when I have those moments where doubt sets in. Because it happens to all of us, even if we're really well prepared. We're like, should I do another mile or two? Should I do another rep? And that's where you have to have the confidence to say, no, it's not going to make a difference. The difference is in the last 10 to 12 weeks. It's not in 10 or 12 more miles or 10 or 12 more minutes or one or two more reps. Like you just got to trust it at this point. And I think having that attitude helps me carry the right amount of confidence into race day. We are rolling with the third Ask Mario Anything episode of 2021. As usual, on the other side of the mic for this one is Morning Shakeout Sponsorship Director, Swim Run Extraordinaire, one half of the Low Tide Boys, Chris Douglas. Welcome back to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm starting to get used to this. I've enjoyed these quarterly get-togethers yeah. to go through listener questions and generally just catch up on you know what we've been up to. And I was thinking about it as I came cross town to have this conversation with you. I believe for the last few episodes of the AMA, including this one, we've recorded right after you've gotten back from a swim run event. I think that's true. It just happened to work out that way. That's right. You were just so in Orcas Island this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday. This uh, On Sunday, I did the Odyssey Swim Run Orcas Island long course race, which was it was ridiculous. It was so wild. It was 27 miles total-ish, 26, almost 27 miles total with about 23 miles of running and the rest of swimming, um, going up and down Mount Constitution, up and down Mount Pickett, swimming in Cascade Bay, which was super cold. It's like sub 50 degree water. Oh God. Uh, mountain lakes, Cascade lakes, Twin lakes. These are just amazing. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. Um, it was super cloudy and foggy and rainy all day on Sunday, but on Saturday, the race director Brent. Um, it was a bluebird day. He told us to kind of go up, drive up to Mount Constitution to check it out, and it was. I mean, it was super cool. If you haven't been up there, it was it was something special. I'm actually glad I saw it because on Sunday couldn't see anything. So at least I knew what I was missing in terms of perspective. But you could see Vancouver just an amazing part of the country. It kind of felt like you were kind of transported to Endor or something and you were just doing the swim run in this really totally random environment, which was, which was a lot of fun. Now, swim run is growing and expanding all around the U.S. It's unique in that you can't just have it anywhere. I mean, you, yeah. have, to have, you have to have a pretty special setup where there's enough water interspersed with mm -hmm. stretches of land that you can swim and run your way around mm -hmm. the course. So this particular event in Orcas Island, was it a new event or has it been around for a couple of years? It's been around for a couple of years. Um, this is the third running of it. Um, and it was my top race. As soon as it came out, I knew this race was kind of for me because of all the climbing. It was essentially about 6,000 feet of climbing over the course of the race, which suits sort of my trail running background. And um, this is what you would call a quote-unquote run-heavy swim run. As you mentioned, yeah, you can pretty much do swim runs anywhere, but to get a nice combination of running and swimming and uh, something that makes sense that it, it that isn't sort of like an out and back or, you know, most of these are loop courses, courses or point-to-point yeah, and it was amazing. I mean, the venue was amazing. The, the race directors did an awesome job. The camaraderie, I mentioned this before, but it's kind of like trail running was like in the 80s, just like a bunch of dirt bags hanging out, everyone being supportive, helping each other. You definitely saw that. Um, you, you see that at these events and it's a very small community that, yeah, I hope it's growing because it's just so much fun. <laughs> I think everyone should try it if, you're, uh, if you like swimming and you like running. And you like the idea of amphibious trail running? <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> well, not up my alley, but maybe one of these days we'll get my wife, Christine, into it as she is pretty adept at oh, I'm both making of those a hardcore press on getting her to do one. I think, I think I'm almost there. 
How did it shake out for you and your partner, Chipper? So we uh, we did really well. We came in fourth place men's team and seventh overall. It took us about six and a half hours to, to cover the distance. Um, I was feeling really great. I got myself into this, I was telling you before we started recording, into this kind of mental space where you're usually pretty nervous and not about like being able to finish or anything like that. It was mostly just being able to kind of express the fitness that I've mm-hmm. worked hard to acquire. Um, so I'm always worried about, oh, what if something goes wrong? Da, 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 da. But for this one, I think I was just so enamored by, you know, going out there, taking a plane and a ferry and you're hanging out in this beautiful place and it's raining, which, you know, where we are, that's not something we're really used yeah, to. It's a rare occurrence these days. Um, that I was in this unique mental space where I was just really excited about the adventure and the whole, I, the whole thing of it just seemed like so much fun. So my energy level... I mean, and I've been training hard for it. My energy levels were sky high. Like, I think if I would have done this race solo, I would have either, you know, placed really highly or had some just sort of colossal explosion because I was just so pumped up and had so much energy that I would have just, you know, had a catastrophic failure at the course somewhere. My partner, Chipper, he was having a hard day. Um, but because it's swim run and you're a team and we have to do it together and we're tethered and we have to stay within 10 meters of each other, um, you know, it became, uh, you know, he really showed his medal, which I was super proud of because, you know, anyone can have a bad day. I've had bad days and he'd had to, he's had to sort of carry me. And I think, um, I think we both agreed for this race. I was kind of like the, the team MVP, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it's fun to do it with him. And it's just another hour in her quiver in terms of experience. And, you know, we're trying to qualify for the world championship in Sweden, um, so all these, all these data points are super helpful and, you know, at the end of the day, it was just so amazing. <laughs> it was, can't beat it. What's the dialogue look like in a situation like that, where you're having yourself a day, you're feeling great, energy sky high, chippers yeah. a little down, but you can't proceed without him. So there's yeah. gotta be some conversation there amongst the two of you. Obviously, you know, you sure. can tell that the other is having the opposite day that oh, you're having, yeah. but how do you navigate that together? Yeah, so communication, I think, is is one of the most important things. I think in life and in racing, if you're if you're if you have if you're married or have a partner or you know, any relationship, swim run, yeah. So, um, so I mean, it's easy to tell in swim run because when you're tethered, you get this sort of immediate haptic feedback when the when the line gets taut, essentially. Um, and I was leading most of the runs. Um, ended up leading most of the swims, and yeah, Chipper just couldn't keep his energy up, and we kept trying stuff at some point there was coke so we started hitting the coke coca-cola um <laughs> I, I don't know why i qualified that i don't think they had cocaine on the on the aid station um so we started hitting the coke and just trying to make sure he was hydrating and fueling and essentially um one of the things that i think makes swim run interesting is you know unspoken goal is to try to get the most out of your partner and your partner's goals to try to get the most out of you and just try to get the best performance that you can and yeah so i I pretty much try to kept pushing Chipper as much as I thought he could handle without like, you know, destroying him or getting anyone injured or, or anything like that. But, you know, there, was, there wasn't there was any point where I was thinking, oh, we need a DNF this thing or anything. It was just like, all right, his energy's low. I'll just pick up the slack and we'll get through this. Um, and we still placed really well. I think we definitely left some time on the table. But it was so much fun to do it with him. And, you know, he's the only swimmer partner I've ever had and really the only one I ever want to have. And, yeah, it's just great to, you know, like I said, I was just really proud of him for the effort that he put out on a bad day. Like, if I was in his shoes, like, I would have just been hating life. Um, but, yeah, you know, he gave me everything he had and he really showed his mettle. And, um, you know, if anything, that just, the, 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 the communication piece of it, some of it was unspoken and some of it was just like, you just tell me what you need. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to keep pushing until you tell me you can't. And, you know, he would tell me would needed like a, like a, like a walk break or anything like that. And then towards the end, um, you know, make sure we spend time at aid stations and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's these, these races are an adventure. You never know what's going to happen. The shoe might be on the other foot next race, but, but yeah, I was like so energized. I don't think I've ever been that over that long a period. Like I'm usually really good between, you know, anything that's four hours or longer, that's usually when I find my stride. But yeah, like from, from Jump Street, I was just feeling super strong and just super happy and to be out there, which was, which was fun. I love the team aspect of it. And I wish there were something 
that existed like that just in running. There kind of is. I mean, I come from a cross-country background. It reminds me a lot of cross-country. And oftentimes when we would be vying for a team title or to be competitive in our conference, our coach would give us specific instructions where she would say, hey – you know, top three guys in the team stay together or top five stay Mm -hmm. together as long as possible. And then you can have at it the last mile. And we had to work together and sort of communicate, whether it was verbally or through body language, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, if someone was feeling good, if someone wasn't feeling good and how we would adjust in that type of situation. But I'm envisioning like, you know, a trail race, whether it's, you know, 10K, half marathon, even ultra distance where you're tethered to, your partner and you've got to cover the course together and mm-hmm. because you're taught and you're literally tied together you can't get away from one another i think it would make for such an interesting dynamic uh, yeah. and it'd be interesting to see how especially on the competitive side of things but even further back in the field how yeah. people choose their partner and then also how they navigate this course and this unique challenge together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, and I would recommend it. I mean, Chipper and I, we've done races, uh, you know, like ultra races, sort of like no man left behind, mm-hmm. where we're just like, hey, we're just going to, this is a buddy system. We're just doing it together and getting through this and, and, you know, almost had like a psychic tether rather than an actual one. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think when you're, when you put on sort of that team role and yeah, and running can be a very individual, sometimes even isolating sport. If you're doing it with a friend and you care about them and they care about you, it, it puts a different sort of patina on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just makes it, to me, it makes it just almost exponentially more rewarding than if I would have done it by myself. I mean, I don't even have considered doing it by myself, to be honest. Um, Cause for me, swim run is, is, like the association that was swim run is doing it with my partner chipper. Um, and yeah, so, so it was, it's, I'd recommend people, it doesn't have to be swim run, but I'd recommend, yeah, like pick a, pick a race with a couple of your friends and just be like, all right, we're going to do this challenge, whether it's a hard trail half marathon or something and just, yeah, do it with your buddies and, and enjoy that. Forgive my ignorance in asking this question, but can you do a swim run solo? Yeah. Yeah. So, so historically the sport started where it had to be teams, but to help the sport grow and, you know, it's hard to find people with similar capabilities and and interest (laughs) for the thing with similar goals. So a lot of the races now have solo categories. Um, There's usually a a long course and a short course. Sometimes there's even three courses. There'll be sort of what they call an experience, a sprint and a long. Um, And the experience, like that's pretty much for everyone. Maybe it's like a thousand yards of swimming total and maybe five to 10 K total of running. So it's really accessible for anyone. And then, yeah, as you get up into the distances, you know, all these trace, all these trail races are usually pretty hard, um, or at least the trail portions of it. There isn't, there aren't any that are, you know, sort of a walk in the park. So that's another thing about swim run that I think is super cool is just how challenging everything is. And they're not trying to water it down for anyone. Yeah, so that was uh, that was my weekend. Pretty tired, but happy to be home. Happy to be home with my kids. But um, how are you doing? Boston is coming up. As of this conversation, it's a little less than two weeks away. Yeah. Yesterday was the two-week mark until race day. By the time this conversation airs, we will be a week out from the race. But my heaviest training is behind me at this point. As I wrote in this morning's morning shakeout, I'm starting to dial things back, mostly the volume. So there's just a gradual reduction that happens there. I'll typically cut around 20% off this Mm -hmm. week, and then I'll take a little bit more off next week. But the biggest thing for me is I try to maintain the rhythm of the week. So I'm doing workouts on the days I typically do workouts. I'll still do a long run this coming weekend, one week out, but it'll be my shortest long run of the entire cycle. It'll be Mm -hmm. like 13 miles, but it's longer than anything else that I've done this week. And I take a lot of comfort in that. Um, I take comfort in the routine. I mean, the old adage, don't do anything new on race day. Also, don't do anything new leading up to race day. I think a lot of people get the taper crazies. And what I try to do is try to keep that that crazy at bay. And the best way that I found to do that is by not doing anything differently. It's just another week for me. I'm just doing a little bit less. And that allows me to freshen up some and mm-hmm. hopefully arrive on the start line just feeling ready to go. So you're not doing anything that our mutual friend Nate would call uh, FBT, fear-based training? 
Yeah, I'm not feeding the insecurity <laughs> monster. I am not doing anything out of fear. I mean, the work's done at this point. I yeah. cannot gain any appreciable fitness between now and race day. I could screw up a lot if I'm not careful. And mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to keep an eye on at this point is when I have those moments where doubt sets in. Because it happens to all of us, even if we're really well prepared. We're like, should I do another mile or two? Should I do another rep? And that's where you have to have the confidence say, no, it's not going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. The difference is in the last 10 to 12 weeks. It's not in, you know, 10 or 12 more miles or 10 or 12 more minutes or one or two more reps. Like you just got to trust it at right. this point. And I think having that attitude helps me carry the right amount of confidence into race day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was reading the newsletter, which was, which I do. Um, I was reading it and, and I noticed that, yeah, you're cutting the volume by 20%, but you still, there's still a little bit of intensity. How do you determine how much intensity to kind of keep in the workout? So a typical interval session for me in the middle of the week during the heaviest parts of my marathon training is four to six miles worth of work. Mm -hmm. And these last two weeks, I won't do more than four miles worth of work. It'll probably even be closer to three. So I'm cutting it in half to two thirds almost, maybe not quite mm -hmm. that much, but similar types of workouts that... I've been doing to this point, I just do a little less volume at that specific intensity. Gotcha. So it kind of goes hand in hand with dropping the overall volume a bit. Gotcha. So if it was like, you know, I don't know, 10 by one mile repeats, maybe we'll do like four by one mile repeats or something. Yeah, 10's a lot. I mean, I would typically oh, yeah. do like <laughs> maybe like six to seven. And that's actually a I'm good talking, example. I'm talking to someone who that can't even understand what it's like <laughs> to run less than three hours for a marathon. But six by a mile is a pretty standard workout for me in the meat of a marathon buildup. And this week I'll do three to four times a mile. And if I do three, I might finish that up with some quicker 400s afterward, but nothing crazy, just enough to cool. keep a neuromuscular stimulus in the rotation. And uh, let me ask you, so emotionally, are you are you pretty stoked to go out there and do it? Or are you still kind of like, oh man, COVID, like I'm not sure, or, or are that's you buoyed a good, by... Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm sort of on the fence. I'm definitely excited to be a part of it again. I mean, there's nothing mm -hmm. like Boston. I'm more curious than anything else if it'll feel like Boston. I mean, right. I've raced this marathon five times, but I've been to it every year except for 2013, which was the year that I got married. It was also the year of the bombings. And I have a very particular idea of what the Boston Marathon or what Boston Marathon weekend should feel like. So I'm more curious than anything else what's going to have that same feel with it being the year after cancellation, with it being in the mm -hmm. fall with all these COVID restrictions yeah. in place. Um, so there's a there's a curiosity there. Um, there's an excitement to compete. I mean, I've been training really hard for the last few months and I want to showcase that fitness for myself yeah. on race day and see if I can have the race that I believe that I'm capable of. So there's definitely excitement there. Um, I know of plenty of other folks who will be in the city on race weekend and I'm excited to, to see those people. Um, I know it'll be a little bit different this year with some of the COVID precautions that are being put into place, but I haven't been to a major marathon since the Olympic trials in yeah. early 2020. And there is something special about that experience and being a part of it. So I'm curious to see what it feels like, but I'm also excited to just be a part of it because I know a lot of other people are feeling the same way. Yeah. I mean, I think on the one hand, you know, the energy of these big marathons and I was always kind of anti-big marathons until I did one and I don't know, which was New York way back when. And I was just like, man, this was amazing. And I lived in New York and I would just mm -hmm. avoid marathon weekend like the plague because you couldn't get anywhere. But once I did it, like there was just this really this magic to all the people running. And it, I think there's probably going to be a lot of pent up enthusiasm for right. for that. For sure. Um, but yeah, man, I think you're going to have an awesome race. I'm stoked for you. And be great. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, we've got a great lineup of listener questions for this episode, but before we get there, I'm going to kick it back yeah, to you as favorite. our sponsorship director. Who do we have supporting the podcast this week? Yeah. So this week we have New Balance and Gooder, two of my favorite brands for multiple reasons, but uh, yeah. Aren't you going to be racing in New Balance? 
I will for sure be racing in New Balance. I am going to have the new Fuel Cell RC Elite V2 on mm-hmm. my feet, and it is my favorite marathon racer I think that I've ever had. Certainly in this new super shoe era Mm -hmm. and i've worn models from other brands before i've worn the previous version of this one by new balance the v1 of the fuel cell rc elite but this new one i mean man it's it's pretty freaking sweet um it's got more fuel cell foam in it so you actually have a little bit more shoe underneath your foot Mm -hmm. but it's not so much that you feel wobbly or unstable which is a common complaint amongst super shoes also the plate is carbon fiber it's very rigid and it is more of a a foot shape so it feels more natural and the biggest difference that i notice when running in it my stride the transitions are a lot smoother Mm -hmm. i don't know about you if you've worn super shoes or if you've been to enough races where you've seen people (laughs) like running by but they have this like slapping effect a lot of them i mean they slap the ground and what i like about the new rc elite 2 is it doesn't have that at least i'm not experiencing that just feels like a much smoother transition and i i mean it feels more like a, a, a running shoe than this like foreign object that I yeah. that I have on my feet. So that's what I'll be wearing on October 11th at Boston. Awesome. I have put a few miles on the pair that I'll be racing in enough that I feel comfortable and confident that they're going to do the job for me on race day. But I've got plenty of protection underfoot, which you really, really appreciate in the latter miles of a yeah. marathon. That said, it's also got good responsiveness. I don't like a mushy shoe where I just feel like it's absorbing every step. Yeah, that you still I, want a racer. Yeah, shoe, put yeah. into the ground. And I think the the combination of the fuel cell foam, the carbon fiber plate gives it a snappiness that I really appreciate and feels like a racing shoe. It's awesome. Yeah, I've, those shoes are awesome. Yeah, I've I've definitely dabbled in the super shoes and I was pretty early on and I was just waiting for New Balance to come out with theirs and it looks like they really nailed it with uh, with the RC Elite. Yeah, they've taken the time to do it right as well. And pre-Super Shoes on the road are maybe kind of in line with when they first started to emerge. New Balance was experimenting with some of this technology in their track spikes, but also this this very niche shoe that they made for road miles and it's Mm -hmm. been super cool to see you know that technology evolve and now trickle into what i think is probably the best marathon racer that i've ever worn and yes they are sponsoring this podcast but if i had to go and spend money on a pair of marathon racers this is what i would buy hands down no questions asked I think we should probably leave it at that. <laughs> well, check them out. They're on newbalance.com. Uh, they come in men's and women's mm-hmm. sizes. And I will say they are incredibly popular. We are getting into the thick of fall marathon season. So if you're interested in the new Fuel Cell RC Elite V2 or in the market for a pair of marathon racers, don't hesitate to check them out on newbalance.com because they are going fast. Yep, definitely. Who else we got? We have Gooder, which they've been a sponsor for a while now. They have been a sponsor for a while now. I mean, we love Gooder. I've got my pair on the table here per usual. I mean, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, I mean... You, you know how much I love these sunglasses. I mean, they're they're super affordable. I mean, they're twenty five to thirty five bucks a piece. They've mm-hmm. got a wide range of styles and colors, so you can definitely find a pair that works for you. I mean, they're for like, every personality. I think. Yeah, personality <laughs> is is the right word. I mean, they've got fun names. I mean, my favorite colors. Um, if you want to. <laughs> 
call them colors are a ginger soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. Those are the, yeah. the colors, at least how they name them. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's it's super fun. Um, they're awesome for running. They don't bounce. They don't slip. They're polarized, so they're going to protect your eyes. I mean, I wear them out for easy runs. I've also got a pair in my car. I've got a pair in my wife's car. I've got mm-hmm. a pair in the house that I grab when I go out to walk the dog. So, I mean, they're great in that they're very versatile as yep. well. I mean, you can wear them running, but, you know, you don't feel like a, a fool wearing them to the coffee shop afterward or when you're driving your car if you're out for a walk. So um, definitely check out gooder.com slash Mario. That's my name, M-A-R-I-O. And you can save 15% off your entire order of Gooder sunglasses. And I don't know about you, but I tend to lose sunglasses all the time. I misplace them. And I mean, I don't feel as bad about misplacing a $25 yeah. pair of sunglasses as I do a much more expensive one, which is why I avoid the, the expensive ones. Um, but also, I mean, you could get a couple different colors of the same style. Like mm-hmm. those those ones that I mentioned, a Ginger Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. I mean, they're they're different colors. They're the same style, um, but right. I, you know, I like having those. I like having those options, and Gooders are great for that. So if you want to pick up a pair or two or three, go to Gooder.com/Mario. That will save you fifteen percent off your entire order. And as they like to say, your face will thank you. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I've actually been finding that I haven't been losing my Gooders because I like them so much. But I'll lose my other sunglasses, but. You know, that's good. It's good. Do you want to get to some questions here? Let's get to the questions. I mean, I think we've gone almost a half hour without oh. getting to one. So yeah, let's we have a roll whole, into we it. We have a whole bunch of questions. The first one is from Lisa. And she asks uh, why some pro runners are wearing arm sleeves in really hot races. She says she understands that for cold races, that might make sense. But the Olympic trials and the Olympics, she saw some runners still wearing them and sometimes just wearing one, even in distance races on scorching hot days. What are your thoughts? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know that I have the answer to it, but here are some of my thoughts. One, it could be a fashion statement for a lot of the athletes, especially at the Olympics when you're wearing your country's colors. Um, It helps to accent some things. Uh, It looks cool. I mean... I don't think you can discount that part of it. Yeah, you can channel your inner like Allen Iverson or LeBron James. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And then on another hand, I do think there is a performance advantage to them. I know some arm sleeves are made of materials that will actually help cool the body and keep yep. the skin cool. And obviously in Tokyo, it was very hot. Um, a lot of times in the summer when athletes are racing on the track or on the roads, it gets very hot. So that can help to keep them cool. I mean, we see at ultras all the time, those athletes wearing arm sleeves in hot weather and they'll stuff them with ice. I mean, that's not going to happen on track. There's no time for that, but there is definitely a cooling effect to those products. And I think you're only going to see them more and more often from here on out. And then the last part, I'm not as confident about this, but we've definitely seen it in the last few years with Kipchoge at the Sub 2 Project, um, major marathoners in general wearing not necessarily arm sleeves, but like strips of tape on various parts of their body, whether it's Mm -hmm. their lower legs or even on their arms. And there's supposed to be like an aerodynamic or a drag effect to that and I wonder if there's anything to that with the arm sleeves that they help with drag or anything like that yeah I mean I think there's some analogies for that like in cycling like uh, you know deep dish aero wheels are dimpled now kind of like the golf ball effect because that's Mm -hmm. supposed to help with aerodynamics same thing with like cycling jerseys and stuff will have a little bit dimpling around areas where they're sort of high contact with wind to try to make them more aerodynamic yeah we haven't uh we don't have the morning shakeout wind tunnel set up just yet (laughs) but uh, when we do we'll 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 test it out and let people know (laughs) i think we need morning shakeout arm sleeves whether you use them to keep your arms cool um or to you know to keep them warm on on a cold day i need to i need to get on that so i'll talk to our uh, non-existent merch team yeah yeah or or shoot that fadeaway three you know you never know (laughs) it could look pretty cool um our next question comes from alex from nashville which is 
if you're listening and you want to submit a question, let us know where you're from because it's pretty cool to, it is to cool hear to, where people yeah, are Yeah, to hear from. where people are, are sending their questions from. Yeah, so Alex, he's a relatively new runner. His current long runs are about four miles. And he asks, I know it's acceptable to take walk breaks, but I feel like I'm not a legit runner if I do. Not true, buddy. You're a totally legit runner. Uh, he says, I obviously know this isn't true, but how can I overcome this feeling? You need to keep telling yourself that it's not true because it is absolutely totally not, not true. true. You're every bit as much of a runner as myself or Chris or the aforementioned Elliot Kipchoge. I mean, if you need to take walk breaks at this point of your running journey because they allow you to catch your breath, they allow you to put in more distance go for it, man. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, Jeff Galloway, who is a 1972 Olympian, I believe, came up with the run-walk method. It's wildly popular. I mean, he encourages athletes of all abilities to use it, whether you're just getting into the sport and trying to build your mileage, or if you're a more experienced athlete and you can use those walk breaks as strategic opportunities to refuel, to reset yourself, um, to reestablish a, a sense of rhythm. I mean, Jakob Ingerbritsen, who is the Olympic gold medalist in the 1500 meters from Norway, part of their training program on their easy and recovery days, they will walk the uphills to keep their heart rate low. Um, so, I mean, if the best athlete in the world, one of the best athletes in the world is strategically using walk breaks in his training because it allows him to recover better, then there's no reason the rest of us should feel bad about having to walk every once in a while. And hey, I mean, as you get further along in your running journey, as you get fitter, as you feel comfortable going longer and longer, you may need to and may want to walk less and less and less, and that's fine too. But I mean, you shouldn't feel the least bit bad or any less of a runner for needing to take walk breaks. Yeah, and you can run a sub three hour marathon and taking walk breaks, you know? So, sure. so yeah, don't discount it. And if you're doing ultras and stuff, walk breaks are the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> the longer the race, the more walk breaks you want. I mean, you hear it from a lot of ultra runners when they step down to a road marathon or something. They're like, man, I just, I just want to walk. I mean, I know an ultra runner. This is a, a total <laughs> aside, very good ultra runner who dropped down and ran a cross country race. So, three, four mile race. And he actually got to a hill and had to tell himself, oh, I probably shouldn't walk this um, <laughs> because you don't do that in, you know, in such a short race, but he's so used to it from ultras. And it was to your point, something that, you know, he looked forward to. So um, yeah, I don't think you should feel bad at all about having to take walk breaks. In fact, more power to you. Yeah. Look in the mirror. You're a runner. Don't don't let anyone tell you any different, Alex. All right. Our next question comes from Carol G. She's a longtime listener of the podcast, which is great. Her question is, she's not sure how to know how much she has left in the tank. So for example, she runs, if she's running a 5K or 10K, and then the last quote unquote bit of the race, she can run sort of X percent faster. Um, you know, and she's not really sure when she should start bringing the kick in and all that stuff. So if she's running like an eight minute pace and picks it up for the last quarter mile to maybe 730 pace, is that too much left in the tank or not? So essentially, I think what she's asking is, um, how do you know that you're emptying the tank? <laughs> well, thank you, Carol, for being a longtime listener of the podcast. That's a great question. There is no one straightforward answer to it. It's going to depend on who you are as an athlete, your experience level, and the skills that you bring to the table. So there are some runners who are just naturally a little bit faster, and it's to their advantage to save up for a big kick and really let it rip over the last two, 400 meters of the race. I am not one of those people. I'm more of like a long distance driver. So for me, I know that I need to try and start winding it up a bit with like a kilometer to go or a mile to go because I don't have the ability to make such a, a big shift to a faster gear at the end of the race. I mean, in this specific example, I think she said it was a 10K where she's running mm -hmm. eight minute pace for most of it and then can kick it in in the last quarter at 7.30, that's great. I mean, that's a that's an incredible shift. I mean, I think you 
want to be a strong finisher regardless of what that looks like for you better to be going in that direction where you're getting you know 30 seconds to a minute per mile faster over the last quarter maybe half mile of the race than go in the other direction where you're just hanging on for dear life or you're completely falling apart and getting like half a minute to a minute per mile slower i mean obviously that's going to depend on the distance the course and again like what it is that you bring to the table but there's no like perfect percentage, I guess, as far as how much faster the last bit of your race should be. Sure, and it seems it seems very individual. Um, this is what I call kind of riding the lightning, where it's the mm-hmm. fine line between having a great race or having some epic blow up. Um, now, as a follow up question, what do you think Carol or anyone in this position could do in training to kind of figure out what gears you have and when to you know unleash? Yeah, that's a great follow-up question. I think there are two ways to go about it. One, in training, there are workouts that you can do that will simulate those race conditions where you will run, say, 800 meters at your 5K or 10K pace and then shift gears over the final 200 meters of, say, one-kilometer repeats where you drop the pace down and practice closing hard. And you do that you know, a few times over and just work on – changing gears. And then that also sends a signal to your brain or it starts with your brain. I said, I should say to, to tell you to go a little bit faster, but you know, you're training yourself that when you get to that point in a race with 200 meters to go, or maybe it's with 400 meters to go, like it's almost automatic that you are going to switch into that higher gear and kick a little bit harder, but you also need to just practice it in races and take chances. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's never going to go perfectly all of the time. Sometimes you got to screw it up once or twice just to figure out where your sweet spot is. I mean, you know, for example, maybe in a a 5k, you wait till 200 meters to go and you really let it rip and you're like, oh, wow, I had a lot left in the tank. So Mm -hmm. next time you go from 400 meters out or 600 meters out, or on the flip side, you go from a little bit longer out, like I just described, maybe you go from like a kilometer to go or 800 meters to go, where it's not as big of a shift, but you're really just kind of grinding away. And, you know, if you're competing against someone trying to just, you know, get rid of them early, so it doesn't come down to a last minute kick and you realize, oh, well, that was too far. You know, I've got to, mm-hmm. I've got to wait a little bit longer. So play around with it, um, play around with it in races, you know, practice going from a little further out, practice saving it till the very end, see where you fall in those experiments, but also in training, practice workouts where, you know, you shift gears toward the end of an interval, or if you're doing a tempo run, you know, you close the last mile a little bit faster. Um, I love doing negative split long runs where, you know, I'll go out and back and I'll come back quicker than I went out. And I'll really try to emphasize that last mile where I'm closing pretty hard to try and simulate what I want to be doing at the end of a race. Right. Awesome. Um, our next question comes from comes from Marshall from St. Louis. He came up with this question at 2 a.m. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know what he's thinking about, but, you know, here we go. He has a question, which is a question I also have, uh, if you've given any thought to publishing a book and what topic or topics and what story do you think you'd like to dive into and share with everyone? Well, I've actually already published a book. In 2013, I published the Rock and Roll Guide to Marathon and Half Marathon Training through... Velo Press, which was owned by the competitor group, which owned competitormagazine.com, where I was working at the time, which also owned the Rock and Roll Marathon series, which this book was named after. It's a half marathon marathon training guide. It is applicable to runners of all ability and experience levels, but because it was tied to the Rock and Roll Marathon series, it is unfortunately titled, and I think that was a turnoff for a lot of folks. But um, if you're interested in it, it's still available on Amazon, I believe. You can find it. And it is a good guide, I think, for training for half marathon marathon. That said, I just got the rights back to it a few months ago. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with the rights to the book or the material, but I do believe I want to update it. I stand by everything that's in there, um, but I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a coach over the last eight years. And there are things that I would add to it that I want to refine, that I want to flesh out a little bit more. And beyond that, I don't have any designs for putting it back out, but I think I will someday, whether I self-publish it, whether I take it to 
another publisher. So stay tuned. If I do another training related book, it will probably be an updated version of the one that I published in 2013. On the other side of things, I have a personal interest in writing a book that is not so instructive from a training standpoint. And I think about all of the interviews that I've done for the podcast, 175 of them now, and I'm just sitting on them. And they're out there for anyone to listen to and learn from, and that's great. But I have this idea of one, step one, transcribing them, just so I have all of those transcripts. And then taking some time, and I think at this point it will take quite a bit of time, given how many that I've done, to go through those transcripts and to try and pull out some consistent themes. Because while I don't ask all of my guests the same questions, there are similar themes that emerge around competitiveness, around how their relationship to running has evolved and the place that maybe it once held in their life versus like the place it holds in their life now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how running has helped them grow not only as an athlete, but also as a human being. And I'd, I'd love to go back through all of those interviews try and tie some of those themes together and see if there's a book there based on the podcast interviews that I've already done. Beyond that, I am not much of a fiction person. I don't think I'll be writing a novel um, <laughs> like a anytime novel. soon. I don't feel that a memoir, at least at this point of my life, is something that I want to <laughs> pursue. But you know, maybe someday someone will find that interesting. But yeah, um, I would I would love to publish another book and exactly what and when that is, is TBD at this point. Well, and don't worry, Marshall, I've been bugging Mario about this for a while and will continue to. So you and our mutual friend, Brad Stolberg, who every <laughs> week asks me when I'm writing another book. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, our next question comes from Greg. He is curious uh, as to how your running and vacations sort of travel together, Mario. He's he's training for Boston, and he's he has taken vacations while training before, but it's something that he struggles to balance in his own life. And while he loves traveling vacation with his family, when he's training, it's really hard to kind of lock in a routine and all that. And he's just wondering if you have any tips on uh, how to be flexible and sort of getting the training in on the road and anything you found particularly helpful. That's a great question because it's something that I struggle with as well when I'm building up to a big race like a marathon. I recently just went through this. Christine and I went on, I wouldn't call it a vacation, but mini getaway for four days where we just drove down the California coast five hours and got away from home for a little bit. And that was like four and a half, five weeks out from Boston Marathon, so right in the thick of my training. And on one hand, we needed that little getaway. We've been cooped up at home for a long time. On the other hand, it definitely affected my training. It took me out of my rhythm and out of my routine. And we were in a place that we were unfamiliar with. So I didn't know exactly where to run. Not that we had much of an agenda, but I had to figure out, okay, when are my workouts and runs going to fit in around everything else that we've got planned? And it was challenging. I mean, if I'm being candid, it threw me off of my game. Even when we got home that Friday, my my weekend was still thrown off and I was able to get myself back on track the next week. But I feel like for a lot of people, it can be challenging to try and maintain a dedicated training schedule while you are also supposed to be on vacation and relaxing and not putting too much stock in in all of that other stuff. So I I can appreciate um, the, the sentiment and the challenges there. I would say the best advice that I have, and this goes for me as much as anyone listening to this, is to, one, communicate with your partner and or your family about your need to train while you're on vacation and what that may look Mm -hmm. like, get their feedback and try to meet in the middle, find a happy medium so that you can do what you need to do. And then they're also understanding and supportive of it Two, do a little more recon ahead of time. This is where I failed (laughs) so that you know where you're going to be and what is going to be accessible to you from 
a training standpoint. I mean, if you're someone who typically does a track workout and you're going to a place where there's no track, okay, can you find a park or a stretch of road uh, or a treadmill where you can do the workout that you need to do? Um, so do a little bit of homework up front to have an idea of where you're going to do your workouts, your runs, that sort of thing, because it's going to take out some of the stress of trying to do that when you're on the ground planning around, you know, all of this other stuff. And then the last piece of advice that I would give is to just let go a little bit. It's yeah, going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, especially if we're talking like a few days or a week or two weeks, if you miss a workout or two, it's not going to make or break your entire training cycle. Right. And I think by being able to let it go, that's also just going to allow you to have a more relaxed mind. It's going to allow you to enjoy your vacation and travel mm -hmm. a little bit more. And you're not going to beat yourself up as much just for having a couple little blips on your training schedule. And it could actually benefit your training if you think about it in the long run. 100%. If you take like, you know, just turn it off for a minute and go hang out the pool with your kids or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, when I've done this juggling a family with, with two small children, you know, yeah. Communication is key. Getting up early is key mm -hmm. <laughs> and just, uh, and then rallying, I think it's the most important thing. So, so you do what you need to do and then be present. And, you know, when I've, when we've traveled, I'll do my workout, whatever I need to do. doesn't matter how tired I am or whatever, just rally and be present for the rest of the day and just, you know, just, just be there and enjoy it and have fun. And yeah, again, if Zuckmaro said, if you miss one workout, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. Don't go flog yourself. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And in retrospect, what I would have done differently for this last little trip mm -hmm. that we had taken is not be so hell-bent on sticking to my schedule, actually doing a little bit more planning ahead of time to say, okay, I know we've got this little getaway coming up. I'm actually just going to back off my training for four or five days and use that as an absorption period uh, because I've put in a good amount of work leading into it. And I'm going to, at that point of my training, ramp back up coming out of it. So I'm just going to use that as some strategic downtime. And I mm -hmm. think that would help take some of the mental pressure off of feeling like I've got to do this and I've got to do that. and I've got to hit this many miles. Yeah, I mean, so I have a follow-up question there. I mean, we've you've talked about this before in previous AMAs. Like, one of the things you do as a coach is kind of like holding people back a little bit from mm -hmm. their worst impulses. So it's almost like if you're working with a coach and you're planning on taking vacation, like that might be everything the coach has been wanting for you to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it might actually, be, like you said, Mario, just be, be really good to just take your foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Emily from Arkansas. She loves the shakeout, don't we all? Um, and she thanks you for all that you do, sir. She called you sir. Which is, uh, oh God, please cool. don't call me sir. Pretty cool. Um, no, anyway. it's not cool. Makes, <laughs> makes, me, makes me feel old and out of place. I'm just um, Mario. <laughs> so, so she has a question about, about warm-ups. She, she's, she's seen a lot of online coaching and training programs that call for a two-mile warm-up before workouts. And she's gone through a couple different programs. And, you know, let's say it's, you're, she's doing a 4 by 4 800 or something like that. And she's wondering if there's something magical about that two-mile warm-up. And she's asking in part because she often feels a little bit tired uh, after that two-mile warm-up going into her main set. So... She's just wondering what's your what's your take on on the warm up. There's nothing magical about the two mile warm up. I think there's something very lazy about the two mile warm up. I feel like that's something that has just been handed down over the years, probably through high school and collegiate programs where two to three mile warm up drills and strides is pretty standard, whether you're running cross country or right. track and folks who have that kind of background, whether it's coaching or as an athlete themselves, they hold on to that and they just do that before every warm-up. I mean, I'm guilty as anyone on that. I remember 13, 14 years ago when I was running my first marathon, I thought that I needed to do like a three-mile warm-up and strides before my marathon because that's what I did before races, whether I was racing a mile or a 5K or a 10K. And I realized pretty quickly that you're just wasting energy, especially yeah. for a long race like yeah. a marathon where you should use those first few miles to really you know, warm up. So to back away from that a little bit, we need to think about what is the purpose of the warm-up. And... In this context, we're talking about warm-ups for 
harder workouts or for races, not just for the everyday distance run that you would go out and do most of the time. So I think it's going to vary depending on the athlete, their experience level, and also what it is that they're going to be doing. So let's think about why we're warming up. We're trying to prime ourselves physically, mentally, even emotionally for the hard work that is about to follow. So if you're going to be getting on the track for an intense interval workout, you don't want to go into that cold. Um, The chances of pulling a muscle or getting injured, tearing something is is pretty high if you're not properly warmed up. So you want to give yourself a chance to do that. Now, what does that look like? I think it's going to depend on the person and sort of where they are. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't feel like I needed as much of a warm-up before I could get into something. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, I actually need to run a bit longer because it takes me a good 20 to 30 minutes to kickstart my systems and just get to a point where I feel functional. And then I'll go through my drills and then I'll do some strides and then I'll feel ready to, you know, to do a workout. And like that leaves me in a spot where I'm, I'm ready to go. If you're someone who that feels like a lot for you and or you don't feel like you need quite that much to be ready to go for your workout for your race, shorten it up. Um, and I think if you make it a shorter warm up, it can be a bit more specific. Oftentimes when you're doing a longer warm up, you're just jogging around for 20 or 30 minutes. I am, I am anyway. And then maybe the last little bit I'm feeling good and I can pick it up a bit. But if you're someone who doesn't need a lot to be ready, you know, maybe you jog for five or 10 minutes and the first minute or two, you're going really slow. The middle minute or two, you pick it up a little bit third minute or two, you know, you're not running super hard, but you're running at a pretty good clip where your heart rate's up, you start to sweat a little, you know, you're actually feeling like kind of warm, ready to go. And then, you know, I always recommend drills and strides because I think they're good for mobility. I think they're good for reinforcing good mechanics. I think they prime you pretty well for what's about to follow. So I always throw that sort of stuff in there. But um, there's no golden rule that says you have to do a two to three mile warm-up. You can, and it can work out pretty well for most people most of the time, but some folks may need a little bit more than that, um, especially as you get older. You're like, well, that's just not enough. Um, but other other folks may feel like that's a waste of their time and or it just makes them tired. And if that's the case for you, find a way to shorten it up, make it a little bit more specific so that when you step to the line to start your workout, whether you're doing intervals, you're doing a tempo run, or you're racing, you're feeling ready to go. Yeah, so so if I, if I can rephrase that, so would you say, if if I'm paraphrasing you correctly, mm-hmm. the goal of a warm up, you should decouple it from having it be some static two mile or distance or whatever. It's essentially just to get you prepared for whatever load you're going to do, whether that's heart rate variability, long run, w- whatever hill work. Um, it's it's just the point of it is is to make sure that you're optimally you know, the blood's flowing optimally to basically be able to do the workout correctly. Yeah. I mean, you've got to ask yourself two things. One, what are the specific demands of the workout or race that I am about to partake in? And then two, what is the purpose of this activity that we call the warm-up? And it is to have you ready to do that first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be different answers for that, obviously, depending on, you know, what it is that you're about to do. Thus, the warm-up should probably differ depending on what it is you are about to do. Yeah. I mean, I'll say as I've been getting older and I'm solidly middle age, I love warm-ups. Like if I don't do a warm-up, I usually feel like crap for like the first couple miles of a long run or something like that. Even sometimes I'll just stop and do hip openers and things like that just to just to make sure that I'm going to get the most out of it because otherwise it's just sluggish until you naturally warm up a few miles in. Yeah. Last thing I will say in this regard, as a general rule, the shorter and or more intense the workout or race is going to be, I think the more specific and intense your warm up should be. I think the longer and less intense your workout or race is going to be, the Maybe not necessarily longer, but the less intense or involved your warm up has to be. If you watch yeah. sprinters, especially middle distance runners, get ready for a race, 
they may have like a long warm up. It takes them say an hour, but it may only involve like five or 10 minutes of jogging, a lot of drills and mobility work and some very specific fast strides so that when they get going, whether it's workout or race, like they get going. Um, whereas with a marathoner, as I just described a little while ago, 10 K runner, five K runner. Um, I mean, those are, those are all very different distances, but I mean, you have a little bit more time during the race to, you know, ease in to kind of get yourself going. Um, and your warm up should reflect that. It doesn't need to be a, a lazy warm up. I'm not advocating that at all, but it doesn't need to be as intense as someone who, you know, is getting ready to do uh, sprints or middle distance type work. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's a great question. Thanks, Emily. Um, our last question today comes from Jasmine. She's a native New Yorker who's now living in New Zealand. And she says she's really thankful for the emails and podcasts. She's trying to get back into fitness um, and running after being uh, postpartum for 16 months. And she gets really energized by by everything that, you, that the morning shakeout does, which is awesome. That's what we love to hear. Yeah, thanks, Jasmine. That means a lot. And she has a question regarding... Um, in light of recent interviews with athlete activists, where do you see your role, Mario, in the world of inclusivity and diversity in the running space? Is this mainly is it mainly as an ally or amplifier, or do you think there's more than you can do? It's a heavy question. It is a heavy question. I don't like to label myself as anything. At the end of the day, I want my work to stand for itself. And I'm someone who values inclusivity. I always have in my life and certainly in running. And I want to show that through my work, through the people that I coach, through the things that I share in my writing and through the guests that I bring on my podcast. And I think I've done a pretty good job of that over the last five, six years that I've had the morning shakeout specifically, and even longer as a coach. But that being said, it's something I can always do a little bit better at. I think we all can. And that's something I strive for in my work. So what I'm always trying to do is figure out ways that I can make running more accessible, more inviting, more interesting to more people. And I mean, that, that takes work. You know, that's sharing stories that otherwise wouldn't be told, bringing mm -hmm. on guests that otherwise wouldn't have a platform to share their stories. And I think that's something I've done a good job of to this point and that I want to continue to do a better job of moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great answer. That's it. We did it. That's it. That's all we got. Yeah, that's all we got. Well, before we wrap up, I have a few thank yous. First to you for co-hosting no this AMA with me as you've done the last three or four yeah. at this I point. Think it's a thing now. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a thing now. I don't think John or Jeff are, are getting, their, uh, getting their host spot back. So Sorry, guys. <laughs> thanks for doing this with me. Um, it's easy because we live in the same town, so I just have to bop over to your house and we can record this uh, in our lovely outdoor studio here the birds chirping and everything yeah birds chirping i mean we think we had some roosters kind of crowing um so thanks for hosting thank you also for managing all of the sponsorships for the morning shakeout on that note a thank you to the two sponsors that made this episode possible first new balance I can't say enough good things about this brand. I'm biased because I'm a Boston boy. They're a Boston-based company. Um, I've been a longtime user of their products, and I'm going to be racing the Boston Marathon in the new Fuel Cell RC Elite V2. It is their long-distance road racing shoe. It is phenomenal. It feels really good underfoot. It's got a ton of foam, so it really softens the blow as you're getting into those latter miles of a race. But it's also got a really nice carbon plate to it, which gives you the responsiveness that makes that faster running fun. So, you know, you're not sacrificing that with all of the cushion that you have underfoot. Um, I'm super excited to have it on my feet at Boston. I know that it will carry me the distance. If you're looking for a road racing shoe this fall, I think it's ideal for half marathon marathon. I'm sure you could wear it for 5k, 10k, but that's really the shoe's sweet spot. Check it out. It's available in men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com. And our second sponsor for this episode, longtime partner of the morning shakeout, Gooder. 
these are just the best sunglasses that you could ever want to own. Uh, they're super cool. They've got a lot of fun styles and colors. I'm a big fan of the OGs. My favorite colors are Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble and a Ginger Soul. Um, that's just fancy way of saying blue and black, <laughs> but I love how much fun that this brand has. You can see it in everything that they do. The glasses themselves are great. They don't slip. They don't bounce. They're polarized to protect your eyes. They're awesome for running. Um, I've got a pair that I run in. I've got a pair that I walk the dog in. I've got a pair in my car. I've got a pair in my wife's car. They're pretty affordable at 25 to 35 bucks a piece. So you can't really go wrong with Gooder sunglasses. If you go to gooder.com slash Mario, that's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario, you will save 15% off your next order of Gooders. And that is a fantastic deal. Definitely. A few more thank yous before we wrap up. Thanks to all of you for listening to this show. Um, you're really what makes this possible as well. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do it is to go on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. It helps other listeners, new listeners to find the show, but it also means a lot to me. I love seeing the feedback that comes through on that channel. Um, also, a big thank you to John Summerford. He is the audio ninja for the Morning Shakeout podcast. He has edited and mastered every episode uh since the first one so couldn't do this without john big shout out to him and then also jeff stern who manages the am shakeout social media accounts i think that's all we got for this one i'm mario fraley that's chris douglas and this has been another episode of the morning shakeout ask mario anything podcast (laughs) 